Coming up on this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we preview the PGA Championship, talk about Justin Thomas's latest win, and have a chat with Golf Channel's Brandel Chambly. My God, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. Well, why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! What is this, custom? Mine's off the rack. I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it live! Welcome back to the Golf Digest podcast. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined in studio by Sam Wyman and from the road by Joel Beal, who is at Bell Reeve Country Club, the site of this week's PGA Championship. But we also have a great discussion with Golf Channel analyst Brandel Chambly. Uh, we discuss not only the PGA, but also his recent tournament at the Senior Open Championship. So uh, a lot of great stuff from Brandel. We'll get to that, though, in a minute. First, I want to welcome in Joel, who is from St. Louis. Joel, let's get a, a little bit of a rundown from Belle Reve. I understand the greens are a little bumpy right now. Yeah, especially around the dance floors. They're really burnt out. And it's, I, I can't overstate that enough. The guys are spending most of their time around their greens, uh, basically putting through this patchy area mm-hmm. uh, along with, uh, you know, they were literally a, a yard away or two and taking a wedge out on a shot that you normally see guys take a putter from. So, it, you know, mostly you see guys going at different pins. Um, for most, at least the early morning rounds, guys were putting through this really rough area. And there, there's even a, a sod, a line of sod around most of these greens to combat some of the burnout area. So definitely the talking point uh, early, early so far Monday morning is, is, is the fact that uh, most people have already changed shirts uh, on the, at nine 9.30 in the morning. So, um, But, yeah, the, the burnout conditions are something I think you're going to see be a recurring theme this week. Do you think, I mean, to some extent – these are huge greens. Am I wrong? So, right. like areas that people are that are apparently the, the most affected are also areas where on most golf courses they wouldn't even be putting areas. Is that is that a fair comment to make? I think so, especially because for this setup, um, at least what I've been told, compared to how the members played, they've really shaved off the sides of the greens. Like the actual greens themselves don't have a lot going to them, not a lot of undulation. So, they kind of to combat that. Uh, they really try to make the penalty worse if you've missed a green. I think maybe shaving them down uh, has kind of caused that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. These are these are some of the largest greens, not only in golf, but just major championship golf. So I, I think that there is some correlation there. But it's certainly not uh, great optics looking at a PGA Championship course and seeing spray-painted green on uh, parts, of the, parts of the course. By the way, conspiracy theory that I want you to start floating and hopefully it takes shape by the end of the uh, week is that this was all a strategy from the PGA of America to justify moving from August. Oh, you like that? That's a good point. I just yeah. made that up completely. Well, so. and obviously Sam's talking about this will be the last time right. that Glory's last shot will be Glory's last shot uh, in August. It'll move to May next year. So, yeah, that's true. You might not have as many burnt out. I mean, you won't. No, but you could say, listen, yeah. look, look, it's just not in the best interest it's of this tournament great. to have it in right. August. Well, and right, it, it changes what venues you can go to. Yeah, what were you going to say, Joel? It is funny, though, how the reaction to those photos has been pretty strong. It's amazing that we just came like three weeks ago where burnout was considered charming at Carnoustie. But if it happens here in America, it's like this great travesty. Funny how this perspective changed depending on the tournament, of course. That's true. But then there's burned out, which, you know, like at Carnoustie, they were basically putting on the fairway through the green and there's no difference. And now there's this where you're it's kind of bumpy. And then like you've taken these pictures, Joel. Like you said, it looks like they've just planted in this line mm-hmm. of high grass in some points. It, it looks like it was just put down like yesterday. I mean, that's 
Yeah. That's kind of absurd. I also think it's a little bit apples and oranges, though, because you go to a place like Carnoustie, and part of the expectation yeah. is that you're playing, you know, you're putting on different type of greens. It's It has this sort of... Um, Rustic is the wrong word, but you know it's that's part of the challenge of the golf course is how you navigate a lot of these kind of patchy areas. Whereas uh, an American Parkland golf course, great manicured greens is one of the, the right. trademarks. And so when you see something that's a departure from that, as you're seeing here, it's really glaring. But Sam, Sam you also made a good point. The Bell Reeve is known for huge greens. Mm-hmm. So if this were to happen at any course, Joel, would this be a good spot because? You can just kind of avoid maybe some of these sections of the green where they're really bad and not put pins there for the week. Or, or is it that pervasive that you can't avoid that? No, I think it's the former, especially because on the whole, the greens themselves, at least the middle, are relatively healthy. The number mm-hmm. nine and excuse me, nine, ten, and eighteen are uh, some areas that are burnt out throughout the green, but for the most part, the centers of the, of the greens are okay. So yeah, depending on pin position, as long as guys are hitting greens, they, this shouldn't be a real big problem. It's when uh, they, they find themselves five, six yards off the green that this can be a little challenging. But even if, if you're Kerry Hague and you're setting up the golf course and you're trying to make it as challenging as possible for the world's best golf, golfers, you want to use the edges of greens. You don't want to use the middle of the green. Right. So, I mean, obviously, it sounds like there's enough, there's enough space that – these greens are so big that you can find a spot that's a close to the edge and b not burnt out but it's you know it's not like you can just use the middle of a green and have it be challenging i just it's kind of crazy i mean i i know there's only so much you can do mother nature's you know a fickle beast but we're talking about that's lovely the, by the way. Thank, thank you the center of the greens are okay this is a major championship yeah. the, the pictures that you're putting out there joel I mean, it looks worse than the public courses that I play around here, and they're not in great shape. So wouldn't, shouldn't you know we have higher aspirations for you know a PGA Tour event, let alone a major championship? It has been a record heat wave, though, this uh, June, July. Alex is indifferent to okay. <laughs> the whims of <laughs> Yeah, a record heat wave. But, Joel, let's be fair. If this was the USGA, they'd be getting killed already. I mean, I know it's early in the week. Maybe the PGA will get killed. But, uh, but in, in fairness to that point, the, the PGA of America has built up capital because of the lack of incidents like this. Like, they haven't yeah. had a, a backlog of, you know, questionable setups where, you know, suddenly it's like it reaches a boiling point. The reason why the USGA That's would get true. ripped upon is because they've had a number of incidents like, like this. Not like this, but right. questionable setups. That's true. And, and, yeah. and so far, at least, the reaction from the players, and granted, a lot of guys are, are still making their way to the courts, but the, the wave that has gone through, for the most part, hasn't had an issue with it. So uh, we'll hmm. see how that holds up throughout the, throughout the tournament week. But um, so far, the players seem okay with it. So I, um, yeah, have obviously, you, that narrative will change. All it takes is one person spouting off about it. But uh, yeah, have you, yeah so, so, so far, so good, at least on the players' end. Yeah, have you heard from Billy Horschel yet? Because he might, he might have <laughs> something Horschel. to say. <laughs> Billy Horschel's on number six right now. I'll try to catch him off the ninth green, see okay. if he is, and he okay. words to listen to share. Obviously, he was the one the most demonstrative at Chambers Bay, where we had, you know, bumpy greens there, um, and those didn't even look as bad as what you've been showing us, Joel. But I guess that was, again, through the middle of the green, even, you know, that Dustin Johnson's last uh, missed putt there. Some people thought maybe it hit a bump or whatever. But, yeah, Joel, I, I think it's – it's interesting that you say there haven't been complaints yet, but it is pretty early. I, I, I don't know. I have a feeling we might hear some. I wonder for a second, though. I mean, 
Joel, you sort of alluded to this earlier that they're, they've known about this for a while. Like this has been sort of a percolating storyline, mm. at least, you know, kind of in the rumor mill that the, the Greens have been bad. So if you go into this week expecting the absolute worst and then you get there, you're sort of grading it on that scale. I think there's something to that. And I think there's something to be said, too, that these guys just went through this two months ago at Shinnecock where, you know, I'm, I'm sure compared to that, a couple of crisp greens don't seem that bad. And I, I will say, too, that the greens, again, only from two and a half hours of observation, no one's second shots are flying off the green. These are actually pretty wet for the most part, so the greens are holding. Now, I, I think that's a that's a bigger point of contention for players rather than pointing through some, some crisp grass. It's not having their second shots hold, so... Um, that being said, it, it's supposed to rain on Tuesday after that. It's supposed to really dry out the next couple of days. So if that comes in, we, we could be hearing a, a different tale from players. But, yes, like I said, so far, guys don't seem too upset about it. Okay, well, let me – you know, we've been kind of knocking the course a little, and, and I'm, I'm excited to see it because I really haven't seen much of Bell Reeve. Um, obviously, it hosted – the last event it hosted was the 2008 BMW Championship. And, I oh, I just wanted to mention the leaderboard from that event is crazy. Uh, Camille Vijegas won. Dudley Hart was runner-up. Jim Furyk, Anthony Kim, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, um, Stephen Ames, KJ Choi, DJ Trey, and Tim Clark. So hopefully the leaderboard's a little more that's a exciting. That's a quintessential 2008 leaderboard. You got <laughs> I mean, a Brett Wetterick in there. And it's a, <laughs> kind of. I mean, other than Anthony Kim, who, you know, RIP, uh, wherever he is, um, that's a pretty Joel. I mean, I, I'm hoping we're gonna get little, little better, better from that. Well, you're not, you're not a big Dudley Hart guy. Yeah, it's, you on, know man. Dudley Hart. But, but I will be to be fair. The last time the PGA was there, Nick Price won mm-hmm. uh, 1992, and Gary Player won the 1965 U.S. Open. So, uh, you know, it has produced a, a couple great winners. Obviously, Joel. Again, we're, we're kind of knocking the course, but other than the greens. What have you said? Because I know you walked around a lot to kind of see these greens. What are maybe a couple holes um, that stand out for you as being maybe very key holes uh, this week? 17 certainly sticks out. You have water running all around the right side, um, but it, it's a hole where guys could go low if they have a, if a, or could make an eagle if they have a, a really nice drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the, the 10, 11, 12, there, it's it's not necessarily a tight course here, but those those three holes can kind of get guys into trouble. So it's not necessarily going low there, just kind of holding the ship steady. Um, but just walking through the course, I'm actually blown away how much it reminds me of Hazeltine. It's basically hmm. Hazeltine with a little bit of uh, the fun at, at Valhalla, of course. So uh, I think people will be pleasantly surprised when they see this. We got, it feels like there's not a lot of hype for this tournament. I think it's just because there's not much course history here. Um, but you know, green aesthetics aside, I think I think fans are going to be really excited to what type of tournament this produces. There's not a lot of difficulty. The, the rough, you know, it's high, but it's also sparse in a lot of spots, and hmm. um, it, it's already a, a relatively wide open course. So, uh, depending on what they do with pin positions, I, I, I think a 12 or 13 under could be the winning score this week. Now that Joel has made comparisons to Hazeltine yeah. and Valhalla, he's really pumped up. <laughs> Bell Reef. Well, the PGA will be happy to hear those comparisons. It's, those like, a, really... it's like a poor man's Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. The, so the fun you, aspects. You... The fun aspects. It's, it's Valhalla without the power lines. How about that? <laughs> High praise indeed from Joel Beal. No, Joel, you actually do sound like you're into it. Um, you mentioned kind of the scoring opportunities. There are only two par fives, correct? And they're both about 600 yards. So, uh, you know, are those going to be very gettable and, you know, or, or are they difficult par fives? 
No, especially number eight. It's 600 yards, but it, off this Zoysia fairway, it, balls are rolling out relatively far. So um, on a couple of groups I saw go through, everyone reached number eight pretty easily. So um, I, I think par fives will still be a scoring opportunity despite their length. Even the par, there's a couple of par fours in the 500-yard uh, 500 range. They're going downhill, so it's not a really a long course. I think it's measuring in around 7,300 yards. Um, I think you're going to see kind of what you saw with Firestone, a lot of driver and, and nine-iron pitching wedges in this week. Okay. Uh, Sam? Uh, Alex, before we go on, I just want to talk for a quick second about Golf Digest Schools, our new cutting-edge video instruction platform offering more than 250 classes on every part of the game and featuring the leading teachers in the game from Butch Harmon to David Ledbetter to Michael Breed. These are not quick tips that you find on YouTube. These are full game improvement programs meant to be followed step-by-step as if you were working with a pro. It's like Masterclass meets Netflix, but even better because there's the added promise of feedback. With Golf Digest Schools, you can send videos of your swing to a pro to be analyzed and consult with an equipment expert to make sure you're getting the most out of your clubs. It's like having the best minds in golf at your disposal wherever you are, on your phone, laptop, or TV screen. To sign up for Golf Digest Schools, go to golfdigest.com backslash access and use promo code SCHOOLS to get 30% off on an annual subscription. Again, that's golfdigest.com backslash access and use the promo code SCHOOLS. All right. Uh, okay, so, Joel, we talked about the course a bit. We've talked about that great, great 2008 leaderboard that it produced. Do you, you know... Do you then think you're saying it's not playing as long as what the scorecard says? Um, is this a course that a shorter hitter can can fare well on, or, or are we looking at kind of the usual suspects, the longer hitters being the favorites here? I think the latter. Uh, certainly, we saw last year someone like Kevin Kisner uh, was able to use uh, just staying in the fairways advantage, but I, I think guys are going to be able to go a little wild here and not be penalized. So uh, it's funny we there's been a lot of talk the past uh, day or two about Roy McIlroy not really coming the finish line, not only in the majors this year, mm. but the few opportunities he's had at, at regular tour events. This sets up really well to his game, um, a course where really it's just about going as low as possible. And if you've looked at Rory, Roy's resume, not only at, at the majors, but just in general, he seems to do really, really well when it's, hey, make 25 birdies and you'll be good. So um, he, he's a guy that definitely jumps out. Someone like Paul Casey, who uh, really has just played steady throughout the year. I think he's right up, he's right up there in birdie birdie average on tour this season even some like Xander Shoffley who's been really really steady um those are three guys that kind of jump out the board in terms of who has the game to really excel at, at Bellary this week yeah Rory is the second favorite at 12 to 1 behind Dustin Johnson according to Las Vegas Westgate Superbook but according to Brandel Chambly he is the favorite to win the PGA uh, I know we spent some of our time talking to Brandel about Rory, why he likes his chances so much, and what we can expect from from the scoring this week. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Brandel that's so fascinating is he's a guy who constantly generates headlines with the stuff he says, and it's because he's just got so many interesting takes on the game. Obviously, Rory being one of them, the state of his game and why he thinks he's good this week, but I thought some of the stuff he talks about with Tiger uh, is really fascinating, and also just his own assessment of his of his game and kind of you know wading back into competitive waters which is you know more complicated than it sounds like sure all right well please have a listen to our talk with brendel shambley
All right, we'd like to welcome back to the Golf Digest podcast, Brandel Chambly of the Golf Channel. Brandel, how's it going? Terrific, thanks. Uh, it's been a nice year. Uh, I'm sitting here at the PGA Championship, and we're gonna we're gonna dig in here and uh, probably talk a lot about uh, Rory McIlroy this week because every single hole in this golf course goes right to left. <laughs> I've never seen a golf course like this ever in my entire life. If I ever. It's like Billy Casper from, from the 80s designed this golf course. So it's all good. We're going to have a, have a good week here. Yeah, uh, we'll get to Rory because I, I, I saw your tweet from last night. You, I think you said his name about 10 times in the tweet, <laughs> but that you were going to hold back on revealing your pick. But we'll, we'll get to him later. I wanted to talk to you about your own golf game first. Obviously, uh, you were in the news, of course, for qualifying for the Senior Open Championship, and I I think everybody was was really impressed. Obviously, you you don't you know this isn't your job anymore. You're you're on TV all the time. You go out there. You not only qualify, but you win the qualifier. Uh, what just a couple days after covering the the Open at Carnoustie? Talk about that week of of preparation and and you know did you even exceed your expectations? Well, uh, no, I I don't know. I mean, I was hitting the ball wonderful before I went over there. I, I had practice for a couple of months before I went over there and um, you know I when I played I was playing beautifully and then I got over there a few days early and I was I was driving it as as well as I ever had and the golf course I had to qualify on was was one of those that if you were just missing it a little bit would keep you up at night you know at gorse right and gorse left so mm-hmm. you know I, I knew I'd have some advantage driving it so straight and uh, you know things kind of went my way that day you know I uh, you know I I I made an eagle on a par five, and I was hitting it so far, and the fairways were so firm. I was having, I was like Tiger Woods. I was having eight irons to par five. <laughs> I was like, God, no wonder he was so good. This game's easy when you can hit par fives with with irons. Uh, so you know, my my expectations for the event, the actual Senior Open, were were good. I don't know why they were good. I had no reason for them to be good, but I, I expected to play well. Um, so it. It uh, it was yet another reminder of just how stupid I am, uh, <laughs> because by the time I teed it up and, and somewhere in the back nine Thursday, I was getting slapped in the face by this game, and I putted so poorly, uh, which again caught me off guard. So, you know, I, I know this game is frustrating. I know it's hard. I know it'll break your heart. But, uh, you know, I had about a, a two-month uh, affair with this game where I thought, oh, okay, I, I got it. This game is fun. I, it's easy. I got it. And uh, and I was quickly reminded uh, of my idiocy. So uh, I came home, uh, I think, better off of the experience, but uh, um, sort of invigorated to practice a little bit more when I can. And I'm going to try to play a few events, uh, you know, here or there, if I, if I can get in them, um, and Great. maybe go to the qualifying school, um, the Champions Qualifying School. So I'm not quitting my day job. Okay. <laughs> I'm just taking I'm just moonlighting. I'm taking on another job. I kept telling my wife, Bailey, for those two months that I was practicing before I went to the, the Open, I was like, guys, like I've got a second job, except this one hits me with a bat every day. <laughs> my hands would hurt. My side would hurt. And I'm like, I, I, you know, when you go 15 years and you haven't practiced, and all of a sudden I was practicing three, four, five hours a day, um, my body literally staged a mutiny. Um, but it was fun. I, I enjoyed the whole experience. Brandel, you you know, in the aftermath of your 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 two rounds there, you were pretty hard on yourself and saying you're disappointed. 
And then the other way of looking at it was some people saying, you know, what you did was was really admirable, that you put yourself in the arena, you hadn't done that for a long time. So so given time, like you said, um, you're better off in the experience, but given time to to assess that, are you are you was it are you impressed by your own efforts or will you still feel like uh, it was a disappointment in some ways? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was disappointed, but, you know, I, I do, I mean, I, look, I do take a lot of heat and, uh, um, I, you know, I, I kind of really wanted to play just to subject myself to the same heat that I just wanted to get out there. It's like, you know, all right, you, you know, you guys can have a crack at me, you know, it, it's, it's fine with me. I, if the shoe's on the other foot, I'm fine with it. I totally get it. You know, uh, you know, our, my job is to analyze golf uh, and and everything that goes into somebody playing good golf. And um, you know, I, I'm fine with somebody doing the same thing to me. It didn't bother me, and I do the same thing to myself. And I did putt abysmally, and I and I was a buffoon out there. <laughs> um, you know, all those things are all those things are equally true of me. Um, but, uh, but you know, I just – I love golf. I'm our audience. I am literally our target audience. I'm a middle-aged man um, who absolutely loves golf, and I love studying the game. And as I've been studying it, uh, writing two books, one on the full swing and one on the short game, which will be out early next year, sometime middle March maybe hmm. next year, uh, I, you know, I, I've been sitting at home doing all this research, writing and thinking and studying, and I think, you know – I wonder if it would work on me. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I want to go out and pester around. You know, I want to, I want to use this stuff. I want to go out and practice and think about this stuff because I didn't do it when I played golf for a living. You know, I, I, I'm the thing about playing golf for a living is, you know, you're really good at, at, at fields and, but you, everybody relies on a teacher. And, and I, I think, I guess if there's anything I, I want to, you know, in my broadcasting, in my commentary, I'm trying to remind the tour players that they're the geniuses and that they can learn everything they need to know about their golf swing and about the golf swing in particular just by going on YouTube and reading. And that way they're at least armed with information when they turn their games over to teachers. They can literally turn around and go, no, I disagree with you because nobody did it that way or this guy did it that way and I swing like that guy. And, you know, they – it, it's a much better relationship, a relationship I think, teacher-student when the when the student is uh, is not flying blind, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that's kind of how I wanted. I was treating myself as sort of a guinea pig, and uh, and I and I really did enjoy the experience. Sure, playing the game, uh, not playing well, it was a bit misery, you know. But uh, but once I got over with it, I was like, you know, I got to play St Andrews for a, you know a week, and it was it was beautiful. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think everybody loved your honesty. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the buffoon line, that you putted like a buffoon. I think everybody got a kick out of that. But, you know, obviously, how different was this for you? It had been 10 years, um, you know, since a, a real tournament. How different was the pressure? And then you add on top of it, obviously, you know, your day job. Uh, you know that there are people out there, you know, for whatever reason, rooting against you. Did you feel that extra pressure? How, how different was that when you teed it up? Well, I knew I knew it wouldn't do me any good to think about that stuff. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I did. I'd like to say I did a pretty good job of not worrying about that stuff. People are going to be critical of everything. You know, the the one thing about the world today is everybody has a voice. And um, while I think there's always a little truth in in criticism, 
um, or at least it used to be that way. The fact is now there's so much criticism that, that none of us really listen to criticism anymore because it, it comes from everywhere. Hmm. Um, and uh, so I was like, I, I can't get caught up or worried about what other people think about what I do or what I'm doing, uh, and I'm just not going to do it. That's, no, that's, not, that's just not a fun place to be. I'm just going to go do my thing and try and do it uh, faithfully and, and honestly and, uh, and, and have fun with it. I guess the best part was, or the funniest part was, when I walked into the uh, dining room uh, the first day I got there, Colin Montgomery was eating, and he stood up and he uh, he started bowing down. <laughs> but he was like, do you know how good that round was? I was like, yeah, it was a good round, you know, whatever. He goes, no, I don't know. Do you know? And I was like, yeah, it was a good round. He goes, no. You know how many people wanted you to shoot ninety yeah. rules infraction and then get disqualified? And I was like, "Well, maybe I don't know." And he was like, "No, they did." Uh, and then you know, Kurt Triplett said kind of the same thing. Um, but it was good to see you know guys that I had grown up with. You know, there were innumerable players there that I've known since I was a teenager and I've grown up with, and uh, you know, sort of hadn't really uh, been in their company in a long time. So it was good to catch up with a lot of them. It was good to. I played with last year's Charles Schwab Cup winner, Kevin Sutherland. It was great to see his game up close. I mean, uh, everybody was just, like, you know, saying to me in the days leading up to playing with him, like, wait till you see this guy hit the golf ball. It just makes it look so simple. Uh, and he did. You know, he really did. Uh, uh, so it was fun to see that up close. and um, You know, it just made me hungrier to go out and play golf because, you know, you can't just love golf when you're playing great. I mean, you got to love when you're playing like a dog too so um you know I, i'm really looking forward to getting back out and, and playing some more golf i didn't get to play much last week i'm obviously not playing this week but uh next week my wife and i are taking a golf vacation to cabot um so nice uh, nice yes yes i'll be back at it next week uh and it's it's it's, it's pretty darn tough to beat her as well you know <laughs> she doesn't miss, miss many shots <laughs> One last question about your experience at St. Andrews, which is you've obviously learned a lot about um, yourself as a competitor and yourself as a golfer and what you need to do. But now that you're back uh, in your day job, sort of what new appreciation or renewed appreciation do you have for uh, competing and the guys that you'll be watching this week? And like, and does, it, does anything change in regards to how you view what they do? Yeah, just how, just how dark a place you can get in when you compete. You know, I, I was, I was in St. I was at St. Andrews, sort of. I mean, really for fun. You know, I, I was there just for the love of the game and to play golf at, at the home of the home of the game. But you know, as I was passing through the locker room or dining room or saying hi, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, a really you know thousand mile stare in a lot of guys' eyes. Um, because they're playing for their livelihood, and there's a, there's a you know it's it's a deep dark place out there playing competitive golf. I mean, yeah, I mean we see their social media uh, posts and we see them yucking it up, but I mean everything's on the line, you know. And there's lots of guys, you know, for all the Ricky Fowlers and the Jordan Spieths, and there there's you know a hundred, two hundred guys, you know, on the fringes of the PGA Tour. Who are her grinding and, and scratching and clawing just to be relevant, and on the on the edge of losing their job. And I ran into a, several of those people at at the Senior Open, and you know I walked by. I was like, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. you know, upbeat. You know, and I could see in their eyes. It was like, 
oh, they are not here to have a, you know, for the love of the game. They're mm-hmm. here to make a living. And, you know, it, it is easy to forget just, just how, because we all look at golf as, you know, a wonderful lifestyle, and it is, and, it, and you know, it enriches our lives, but it's how these guys pay their bills. So uh, I don't think anybody's watching the PGA Tour and thinking that these guys are worrying about or, or you know, sympathetic these guys are struggling to pay bills. But there's, you know, on the fringes of the professional ranks, there's thousands of guys out there grinding to be relevant in the game of golf today, and I ran into many of them at the Senior Open. Um, all right, well, let's switch gears, obviously. You're, you're in St. Louis for the PGA Championship. You're going to be, obviously, on Golf Channel live from the PGA Championship all week. It looks like you guys are on TV for over 40 hours or something crazy. How, how much are you actually going to be on? That's, that seems like a pretty big schedule this week. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 maybe let me see do the math here. Uh, yeah, I'm 14 hours. That's it. Um, okay. I think I, I think I do two hours a night, uh, and that's it. I may have some responsibilities in the morning, Saturday, Sunday. I haven't looked that far ahead, but uh, but you know we're uh, we're on six to eight o'clock. Uh, I think uh, most nights, um, and and that's it. So you know I'll just be doing my normal, watching watching the golf, reading the newspapers, reading your columns. <laughs> your tweets, and then uh, you know, trying to uh, trying to put sense to all that stuff, and, and take it on the air. The hard part of my job is that by the time I go on the air, everything that could possibly be said about the golf has already been said. <laughs> right? It's like, what else is there left to say? <laughs> so it's well, like, that's my job is to sit around all day long and watch and listen, and then it's like, all right, I've got to I got to come up with something else to say that nobody else has said. That's uh, <laughs> It's not always that easy, but uh, that's what I'm doing all day long. Yeah, no, I've seen you in action at the players working behind the scenes, really grinding, getting looking on the, you know, looking at stats, looking at everything else. What you know, you mentioned that though. It's funny. Do you watch anything other than golf? I wonder, just because it seems like you are always watching golf, always paying attention, and now in your free time, you're you're playing golf. Do you know what else is there for Brandel Chambly? Well, the if you are the only other interest really that I have. Is reading. Uh, mm. You know, I don't watch. I don't watch football. I don't watch baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't watch basketball. I watch a little horse racing. I watch mm-hmm. tennis during the major weeks because mm-hmm. otherwise you can't find it. Right. Um, and 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 that's it. You know, for my, uh, you know, if you ever run into my wife, she'll tell you that the hardest thing for for her to get me to do anything is just to steal my books from me. <laughs> um, and uh, she, you know she'll put her foot down and say you, you are not reading today. So that's it. I'm a I'm a I'm a closet geek, so to speak. Uh, you know, um, you know, in golf, that's it. You know, I, I am I'm pretty much all day every day when I'm not reading, uh, studying golf. And I'll I'll take a break and read for an hour, and then I'll come back and study golf. But uh, but no, I I've, I I grew up loving football and, and riding horses. And I was. You know, I was going to ride horses in the rodeo for a living when I was, you know, until I was 13 or 14 years old, and they started falling over on me. <laughs> um, but, but I did, you know, I grew up on basically a ranch doing lots of crazy stuff, riding horses 100 miles and roping cows and riding baby bulls and, you know, playing football. And I was a, I was a through and through Texan. But once I discovered golf, uh, you know, I, I kind of got away from football and, um, you know, that's been my singular focus ever since. Sure. All right. Well, you, you mentioned Bell Reeve, uh, of course, kind of like you haven't seen all right to left holes or, or a lot of right to left holes. Um, 
What else about this course has, has jumped out at you uh, so far? I'm hearing, you know, huge greens, a lot of bunkers. Uh, what what aspects of, of players' games are going to be specifically tested this week, do you think? Well, you know, the, the golf course is – I don't know that it's going to really test the players, to be honest with you. I hmm. mean, it's there's there's always your fairways, which are – you know, it's it's essentially putting a golf ball on a tee. Hmm. Um, um, I love Zoysia. I mean, they're the friendliest fairways you will ever play in your life, and they're very because of the weather. Because the, the weather is is even though it's going to get into the 80s, which will help them, I think, speed the greens up a little bit as opposed to the 90s. It'll give the the uh, the course superintendents and, and the people who take care of the golf course a little bit of a break. The golf course is going to be soft, and the fairways are great. Um, so, it, you know, 18 under is you know wow. way to win. Wow. You know, I mean, something ridiculous. It, wow. it, there's just there's just no way. It's just you know, it's not going to be. It's not going to beat these players up. That's that's for sure. Uh, it's going to be very hard for somebody to separate themselves. I would imagine uh, when you start looking at soft golf courses, it, it typically is hard for someone to separate themselves from. You know the. the the closest thing I can think of to this is 95 Riviera, where the golf course was just absolutely soaked. And it, it went into a playoff. And then the next year, 96, was the same. I actually played in both those, and it was soaked. And uh, that went into a playoff. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think we're, we're headed for a very, you know, the leaderboard is going to be like the flight sheet at O'Hare Airport on Thanksgiving, you know, the day before Thanksgiving. It's going to be very clustered and uh, the scores are going to be ridiculously low. Um, we're going to see lots of close birdie putts. We're going to see lots of, Oh my great iron shots. Hmm. Um, you know, that kind of stuff, but it, it's going to be a place where guys can show off. Um, and, and they will. You, you, you've been uh, pretty unabashed in your uh, support of Rory, as you mentioned earlier and thinking that he, you know, He's he's the guy to beat this week, and you know, based on soft conditions, right to left hole, so it makes makes all kinds of sense. What's your take on where he is um, competitively, his mindset? I mean, there's I think we we discussed a little bit the idea that on one hand uh, he's in contention pretty much every week, on the other hand uh, he hasn't won at the clip that you know he was winning a few years ago. Yeah, you know he's he's finished fifth at the Masters and second at the Open. And- was he six last week? And I think if you if you pressed him, he would tell you he probably had a C game or you know B minus game. I mean, he didn't look like he was. He looked like somebody was finishing twenty fifth or thirtieth in, in in all those weeks. And you know, and yet he almost wins all those weeks. He's mm-hmm. he, he's one of the very few players out there that can struggle and still contend. Um, but I looked at. I didn't just blanket throw Rory out there for any reason. One, obviously, all the holes go right to left, and he's very comfortable working his driver right to left. Uh, but two, the Zoysia fairways is going to help his iron play because he's a sweeper. Um, there are a lot of reasons I chose Roy. He's a sweeper uh, of the golf ball, and and when he's got to go down and get it, he struggles with his iron play a little bit, or has been struggling with his iron play. His iron play has been nowhere near um, what he's done off of the tee, but the fact that the Zoys fairway is going to help him sweep the ball. So he's going to hit his irons much better this week. Uh, and he had his best putting week uh, since or, sorry, since Arnold Palmer uh, last week at Bridgestone. He only had 104 putts last week. Nobody in the field had fewer putts than Rory McIlroy last week. And, 
You know, as much as people want to say, oh, he didn't putt well, it's like, no, he did. He putted beautifully. He was in the top nine in strokes game putting, and um, he had definitely, you know, picked up strokes uh, putting and, and, and made tons of putts. So I know he feels pretty good about his putter. Uh, I know that he'll feel better about his iron play, and I know he's going to drive the eyes out of it this week, or I suspect he will anyway. Um, so for And then when you start to look at, you know, just how many players these days play a fade, you know, Dustin and um, Justin and Brooks and, um, you know, Spieth. And, um, you know, Ricky Ricky could surprise this week because, again, the, the Zoysia Fairways will help Fowler for sure. Um, and the right left holes will help Fowler for sure. Uh, and the level eyes will help Fowler for sure. So, I mean, Ricky Fowler's a, a fabulous pick. Um <laughs> You know, Patrick Reed's a pretty good pick as well because he likes to work it right to left. But then, you know, there's loads of other players. You know, Alex Norn works it left to right, you know. Fleetwood, I think, works it left to right. Um, so you really do have to look, I think, at players that work it right to left this week uh, because, again, I I don't know if there's another golf course in the world that is so lopsided, draw biased. Uh, well, you know, when we're talking about that, then obviously we need to ask about Tiger Woods. Obviously, I know you picked him to win the Open. I did as well. I know Hank Haney did. I, I think, you know, with eight holes left, we were feeling pretty good about that pick. Uh, but this week, it doesn't seem then like the course is setting up for him. If you're saying it's going to be a shootout, it seems like Tiger has, you know, reverted to this conservative game plan. He's not comfortable with the driver. He's really not comfortable hitting it right to left with the driver. So I'm taking it that you're not as bullish on Tiger this week as you were at the Open. No. No, with eight holes left, we were looking pretty good on that. Pick. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, I'm going to finally get a pick right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the easiest thing in the world uh, yeah. to, to make a pick without looking getting an egg on your face. Right. Uh, but, I mean, that was to me it seemed an obvious choice with Tiger Woods, uh, Carnoustie. Uh, and for the exact opposite reason, he's the, you know, I'd, I'd say he's the wrong choice here. But um, even going further than that, um, just, you know, without the golf course, even considering the golf course, his game doesn't look anywhere near like it was going into Carnoustie. Uh, you know, he was he, he was on a high there, and he looked uh, completely disorganized at, at, at the Bridgestone. And besides the fact that um, he looked like uh, – you know, about 75% the player that he was at the beginning of the year when he was making numerous golf swings that were in the mid-120s range, club head speed. Um, you know, last week he was right around 117 miles an hour. So he's lost 12 miles an hour off his top club head speed, sort of about five miles an hour off his average club head speed. Um, and Bridgestone is a place where typically players punch above their weight. They swing faster that week than they do on average. So if they average 120, typically they'll swing 122, 123 miles an hour there. So Tiger Woods was far less. So, you know, something's awry. I don't know what it is, but he certainly was not feeling good last week um, with his golf game or something else because you just don't see somebody um, fall off uh, in that regard. And, uh, and and besides that, yeah, he was uh, completely out of sorts. He was steep on a lot of shots, did a lot of really poor wedges. Um you know, it's just, I, you know, it was the first week since, you know, actually it was it was the the first week all year where I felt a little, uh, you know, a little uneasy even watching him play the game. You know, it just, it just wasn't it just wasn't Tiger Woods not by a long shot. Randall, suppose he 
continues down this road, you know, on this trajectory where Tiger is a, you know, a relevant player. He's competitive, but doesn't nearly come close to the level that he was at, you know, at his at his peak. How does history in your eyes look upon this sort of chapter in his career, this comeback, you know, how he's played, uh, you know, let's say it's like this year, next year, and a couple years after that? Yeah, I think. I think there's a lot to learn uh, besides the entertainment value that he's provided. There's been a lot to learn watching Tiger Woods play at his best, and I think this generation is is an example of, of what you can learn from him when he was playing his best. But they, I promise you they learned from him, from his mistakes, uh, changed his body, changed his golf swing. You know, all an athlete has, it's, it's his greatest uh, asset is time, and he cost himself time. Um, you know, three times at least in his career, you know, changing his golf swing in the late 90s, again, sort of uh, 2003-04, and then again 11-12, and now he's trying to change it again. I mean, what 42-year-old players still changing their golf swing that's had the success that he's had? So he's cost himself a lot of time. Um, I, I would argue that um, he got the least out of his talent of any player maybe in history. Wow. Uh, because what other player would you have imagined was going to win 30 major championships, uh, 25, 30 major championships and a hundred plus event. I mean, there's no other player that any of us would ever have imagined. Um, I think he was better than any of us ever imagined, but once he got going, we thought, well, you know, this is going to be, um, you know, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be like Genghis Khan to the record books. I mean, he's just going to, he's just going to completely raise them. So to see someone, um, you know, and to, you can learn a lot because to think that you can't access the highest reaches of this game, uh, either teaching it or playing it, unless you know everything, um, is uh, is a mistake. And I think he made that mistake. I mean, he was he was sort of a was a was a victim of his own hegemonic talent, really, in that he could he could do this. He could take on these crazy projects of completely reworking his golf swing and still come back and beat everybody. So it was almost to me like he was bored and he, he was bored to so say, well, I'll just remake my golf swing. I'll still come back and beat everybody. And he, he would do it. Um, but, but the idea that you can't play this game or understand this game, unless you know, everything is, is sort of, um, is sort of, uh, I, I think the trap that, so many players and teachers, for that matter, uh, are falling into, and so they're, they're they're completely absorbed in, you know, every single aspect of this game, and they're not confident uh, in the fact that look, I I, I I know what you have to do to hit a fade, I know what you have to do to hit a draw, um, I know what you have to do to hit these shots under pressure, um, I, I know you need to waggle and stay in place, and you need to have a trigger and. You need to think this way, but do I need to know every single angle, pressure, trace, drop, level? Yeah, I mean, from an intellectual standpoint, that's that's fun stuff, you know. Um, but from a player's perspective, I, you know, I think there are players out there being done harm by by teachers who are very good teachers, but they're going to all of these uh, seminars. And they're coming away like, you know, like young Christians who've just opened up the Bible for the first time. And they're ready to tell you these verses. And, you know, and it's like they're well-intentioned. Um, but uh, but it's like, you know, you should, 
you should just step back a little bit. It's like, just understand the big picture here. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to play the game. I, I mean, one of the things I looked forward to about practicing golf um, was that, you know, you, you got all this information in your head, but you still got to go out there and put your body in motion. And you can't do that if you're thinking. I mean, thinking will freeze a player quicker than a bad back. Hmm. And, uh, you, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's hurt innumerable players, but more than any of them, it's hurt Tiger Woods. Sure. Well, to that point, though, he, he's not working with a, a coach right now, or at least he, he says so. Does that, does that help him then going forward? And, and do you really believe then that someone who, like you said, has been so you know, into making these changes and trying to learn everything, do you really believe that he isn't working with someone right now? Well, I, I think you know, it depends on how you, how you define working with. I think he's consulting with you know, um, Nota Begay's his best friend and Noda's a swing geek just like Tiger is. Hmm. So, and Noda's good friends with, you know, all the teaching gurus and they sit around and talk theory. I'm sure of it. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, who would know more about the golf swing than Tiger Woods? You know, he's a, he's a smart guy. Um, and he's gone from Butch to Haney to Foley to Como. And that, that covers old school, new school, you know, 360 degrees. So there's nobody out there, I, I, I'm sure, that would know more about the golf swing than Tiger Woods. You know, he is he is a, a, an intellectual. He really is. He's a smart guy. Um, so I, I, I have no doubt that he knows the golf swing. But the problem is, is that, you know, his time's already passed. You know, he's already, to some extent, hurt his body. Um, it'll never be what it was. And, you know, he's... He, he can't find his way home because he he's stuck. He's still stuck in between the move um, that he was doing under Foley and the move that he was doing uh, under Haney and the move he was. You know, he he can't get back to what he was doing. He wants to get back to what he was doing under Butch, and it's not so much where the club was, but it was how his body was moving. You know, he still has this habit of he'll stay he'll stay pretty tall into his backswing, but then he'll begin to drop down late in his backswing. And that's too early to be dropping down. You know, he shouldn't be dropping down until the beginning of his, his downswing, the beginning of the transition. And because he drops down in his backswing and then further drops down in his downswing, he has to jump up. Um, and he'll say he does that to create speed or he can create speed that way because he can't rotate to the extent that he used to. But it does hinder his ability to be consistent um, when you're losing your levels quite like that. I, anyway, so I, I think that... Uh, you know, he's lost, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight years on his career. He's lost his, uh, his, uh, the fluidity of his body. And, and he did all that by, um, you know, by going to the gym and by changing his golf swing um, and working out, you know, early on. He may have a good trainer now, but early on, I would argue that uh, whatever he was doing with his trainer, it wasn't, it wasn't the best thing for his golf. Uh, swing it wasn't the best thing for his body so let's consider an alternate reality in which um tiger calls you and says um hey i've got you know three or four healthy years left of golf i want to get back to a good level what do you suggest i do i tell him to call butch um you know i i uh, you know i uh, i i have you know tour players will reach out to me occasionally and 
look, I'm happy to talk golf swing with them, and I'd love to do that. But I don't teach golf for a living, and um, there are people out there whose job it is. If you want to talk golf, I'm, I'm happy to talk golf with you. That's what I do for a living. I write about it. But I don't teach golf for a living. I'm under no assumption that I could teach golf as well as Hank Haney or Butch Harmon. Um, so, you know, he had the most success, at least in terms of breakaway speed with Butch Harmon. Uh, I'm convinced that Butch Harmon could fix him in, in an afternoon. Um, you know, wow. I'm just, uh, there's just nothing, there's nothing you could say to me or show me that would, would, would make me not believe that. Uh, you know, I know the type of teacher Butch is, uh, uh, I know how malleable Tiger Woods is. He's, he's proven that he's capable of putting himself in pretty much any position. Uh, I, I can't think of a single reason why he wouldn't be able to maintain his height uh, deep into his backswing, uh, his height. Um, you know, there's just there's no reason for it. And if he could do that, um, you know, he would have so much more speed, and his golf swing would look completely different. You wouldn't know why it would look different. It would just look different. It would just look so clean going through the golf ball, and you wouldn't know why. And the reason why is because it wouldn't be violent at any point in the golf swing. Right now he's got such violence in his, in his transition, um, and his tempo is nothing like it used to be. You know, he used to have a much slower backswing and a much slower transition, much, and and it gave him all this time in transition. <clears throat> and now then his golf swing is so quick uh, late in his backswing, and again, that's because he's dropping down, and then it's late in his transition because he's already told his body when he starts dropping down, it's go time. And it's not go time, you know. It, it shouldn't be go time then, you know. He should still be building and generating and, and storing speed. Hmm. And uh, so I'm convinced Butch could fix him in an afternoon. I'm convinced that, you know, if, if you're Tiger Woods and you want to squeeze every last drop of golf out of your frame, I just, you know, in my mind, I don't know why he wouldn't go see Butch. Um, it's like, you know, this is your career. Um, you know, I, I don't know why you'd be stubborn about it. Um, I can't imagine that Butch would say no. Uh -huh. Even, you know, he would, you know, Butch doesn't want to travel anymore. I do know that. So Butch is out very, very reluctantly. He comes out on tour anymore. But, uh, you know, it's a it's pretty easy flight to Vegas. Vegas is a pretty good spot. Um, I've been out to Butch's driving range. It's a pretty good spot where he's at. Um, and um, I think it would uh, it would clean things up for Tiger. You mentioned you're happy to talk golf with uh, with any of the tour pros. I just wonder quickly, have any of them ever approached you and been upset with something you said on the air? Well, you know, I mean, it, people are not as bold face-to-face -face as they are <laughs> right. or uh, in print, you know. I mean, Phil Mickelson took a shot at me recently. Exactly, Tiger. yeah. Yeah, Tiger's taking a shot at me, right. you know. I mean, um, you know, I, I hear through players, you know, that people will take a shot at me here or there. Um, and all I would say to them, you know, is, is look, I, I go on the air and I try to get it right. If I got something wrong, um, let me know what it is and I'll clean it up. You know, I, I don't, I don't claim perfection. I, I go on the air, trying to get it right. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to get it right. You know, I. That's why I spend so darn many hours looking at things. Is I, I want to get it right. Um, 
and I, I, I don't have any malicious intent ever, um, you know, regardless of who it is. My, my intent is just to inform my audience. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem with their criticisms, you know, at all. You know, I, but I would tell them that, you know, I had their job for 20, 25 years. They've never had my job. They don't, you know, I understand their job. I don't think they quite understand the, the role of my job. Right. It's not to be their best friend um, at all. My job is to analyze their golf game. I'm not a cheerleader. I'm an analyst. Um, and 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 that's that's kind of, you know, I, I, I think that's what some of them are not understanding. Um, it's my job to say what is not obvious. Um, strengths, weaknesses, um, things along those lines. So, um, but you know, when I played the tour, you know, I was, you know, I, I got along with everybody. I enjoyed people. I, hmm. I, you know, I was a completely different, I had a completely bit different job then. So I, you know, I had a completely different, you know, I was on the, the advisory council of the tour. And so I, I certainly spoke my mind when I was on the advisory council, but, um, otherwise I just enjoy people and love being around them. I still do. It's just that my job, you know, I sit in a chair where every two minutes someone says or asks me, you know, why'd that happen? Why'd that happen? What happened there? What happened there? Why'd he win? Why'd he lose? And, and, you know, you gotta, you gotta fight to have something to say. And by the time I've researched something for a day or days or weeks or months, I'm pretty well convinced of it. Um, you know, and, uh, and opinion, especially I think well-formulated opinion, um, makes people want to argue with you. And uh, and I enjoy argument. You know, I enjoy debate. And um, you know, so I can see why that uh, that riles people up sometimes. Sure. Uh, a couple quick questions on PGA. Uh, I just want to know the there's some pictures coming out. Obviously, the greens a little bumpy. Wanted to hear if you think that's going to be a big factor. We're going to hear players kind of complaining about that. And also, who are maybe, you know, we've talked about some of the big names. Who are a couple under-the-radar guys you, you kind of like this week at Bell Reef? Yeah, you know, with the, when the greens are real soft, obviously they're going to get a little chewy. Um, <clears throat> that's inevitable. But the good news is they're soft. So aesthetically they won't look the best, but they won't roll anything like you would think they'll roll. From the aesthetics, you know, again, I I remind people to go back and watch the tapes of the 95 PGA Championship, and Elkington made putts from everywhere, um, and he had 106 putts that week. Hmm. You know, he made it, I think he made two 20-footers or 30-footers on 18, you know, I mean, he, in the playoff and uh, in, in, in regulation, so, you know, it, it, it had no ill effects on, on the putting of the players, it just... It just looks like it's going to. So, um, you know, players will complain a little bit, but if this won't be Chambers Bay. Uh, I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, won't be anything like Chambers Bay. Um, but, uh, but you know, when you go down the list and you start looking at other players, again, uh, you know, I, I would throw in a Ricky Fowler. Um, I, I, you know, he's a top-ten player in the world, so that's certainly no dark horse, so to speak. Um, but... When you start looking at, you know, down the list, you know, Tony Finau is a is a player that you would have to look at. Uh, I know Bryson DeChambeau has been in the news lately for a lot of crazy reasons, <laughs> uh, but uh, 
but he's he's you know ball striking wise you cannot ignore him right I mean, he's, a, he's a real talent yeah it really is. you know i mean you, you'd have to look at him uh and again louis Oosthuizen, you know because he works the ball so easily right to left mm-hmm. um and i'll throw one out that won't be on anybody's radar but but uh Jason headley mm. um headley um there's only a couple people on tour that that hit the ball better than him hmm. um and he works the ball right to left. Uh, I was looking at him last night, and if we'd had a segment, I'd certainly brought him up just because of the way he, you know, he sweeps it. You know, I, I mean, I'm I'm mostly looking at guys who sweep the ball this week, pickers, um, and guys who can work it right to left and good ball strikers. So they're going to have a, a a big advantage. It's, uh, you know, there's, uh, but the idea that anybody can win these events is is crazy. It's just not that. It just doesn't happen. I mean. You know, again, you know, the top 50 in the world, um, primarily they dominate major championships. They absolutely dominate. And, and, I mean, you know, it's it's a nice romantic story that anybody in the field can win, and this is a deep field. But, no, um, no, you're not going to beat Dustin. You're not going to beat Justin Rose or Justin Thomas. Justin Rose is somebody we didn't even talk about last night, but if you look at his major championship uh, year, um, the best major championship year Justin Rose ever had was 2007. Now, he led the European Order of Merit that year, but he didn't finish worse than 12th in a major. Uh, he was nowhere near the player he is now then, mm-hmm. but uh, but I think he played with more freedom then because he wasn't working on his golf swing. I think, you know, I know he's crazy always working on his golf swing in a good way. I love the guy. But I, to whatever extent, I think they're just doing maintenance now. And... You know, he's run into this part of his year where it's the latter part of his career, but he's still playing fabulous golf. I mean, he's playing like a kid who's late 20s. Um, so, I, I, you know, it would surprise no one if Justin Rose won. You know, if I had to pick my favorites, I'd go Rory, Rose, Fowler hmm. right now, and I'd put them in that, that sort of order. Um, and that's, you know, look, I mean, Justin played great, but there's always um, – a general malaise after you win. Um, and, um, you know, I think he'll be there. I really do think Justin will play well. Mm. Uh, but I, I would definitely look at uh, Rory, Rose, and Fowler. Those are, uh, you know, the three guys that, that I look, I'll be watching um, for sure. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, I know we've taken too much of your time, but not not Tiger and Phil. I just had to ask you about the match. The sorry, quote the match between them on Thanksgiving. Your opinion on that uh, before we before we go? Well, they're both uh, you know they're they've become quite showmen. I mean, I know Phil's always been a bit of a showman, but uh, but the fact that they are uh, sort of in this bromance, I think it'll be good TV. They'll mm-hmm. give each other grief. I mean, I've kind of privy to the needle that they give each other on the buses at the Ryder Cup, and they're both really good at giving the needle. Right. So you, you can imagine they're going to be giving each other the needle. They're going to be trying crazy shots. They're going to be trying to, out, you know, Tiger's going to outdrive Phil because that's all Phil really wants to do is hit it far and he can't <laughs> do it anymore. And so he's going to give Phil the needle. Um, no, it should be it should be great entertainment. It really should. I mean, it, it's not going to prove anything. It's just going to be entertainment. Uh and I, I'll believe like everybody else. I'll watch it. Um, you're talking about arguably the greatest player of all time with, uh, with uh, you know, the second best player of this generation. So, And they're charismatic people. They're amazingly charismatic people. So it'll be fabulous. Uh, I, I'm all for it. You know, if somebody's 
happy to pay for it. Right. I'm happy to watch it. It'll be it'll be fabulous. Uh, you know, it'll interrupt a little bit of football that that I do watch. That's <laughs> the only time I watch football, but uh, but I'll be front and center. Hell, I may even be out at the event. Who knows? Oh wow! All right. Well, Brandel, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Well, obviously, everybody out there will be tuning into Golf Channel all week to get your your takes after these long days in St. Louis on uh, live from the PGA Championship on Golf Channel. So, uh, thank thanks you thanks again, Brandel, Sam. Brandel, yeah. thanks a lot. Always great stuff. Yeah. Thank all right, you. Sam, uh, Alex. Uh, really nice talking to you guys. I really enjoy it. And, uh, always enjoy. I have been reading Golf Digest every magazine. Every month since I was 13 years. I wish wow. I had them all. Uh, wow. I don't miss it. Uh, I appreciate what you guys do. You guys do great work, and the game's better off because of you guys. So uh, I really appreciate it, and I uh, look forward to seeing you all down the road. Oh, thanks, Brandon. We'll see you out there. Take care. Here. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thanks again to Brandel for joining us. And wow, I uh, feel like you could just talk golf with him all day. And you feel like you could talk Tiger Woods with him all day. I know. I saw your eyes sort of uh, pop open a little yeah. bit when he was talking about Tiger's potential or Oof. his talent. But, you know, he's a really smart guy. And I do have, you know, it sounds like he's just trying to start up, but it's not. I mean, it's it not. really comes from an informed place. And I do feel like, you know, you may not like what he says, but he's coming from a place of, you know, what he thinks what he thinks about the game and what he's learned about the game and what people should know about it. Yeah, and, you know, I've talked to him about this before, but and he mentions this, he's on the air for so much time. Mm -hmm. He has to come up with, you know, original thoughts or ideas and not just rehash everything else that's out there already. So that that is a challenge. And, you know, I, I agree. I don't think he's just stirring the pot with some of these things. I just think he, you know, he comes at some of these topics with a little different approach than maybe other guys who sugarcoat things a little more and... Uh, certainly, you know, he is, you know, he can be critical, but as we've seen, he's, he's just as critical of himself yeah. and of his own golf game. So I think that's where there's a, a balance. I, I thought it was really interesting when he was talking about how, you know, he was well liked on the tour and he was one of mm -hmm. the guys. And then when he transitioned to being an analyst, he realized he wasn't going to be people's friends. Cause a lot right. of guys, there's a lot of guys who are former players who make that transition. They still right. struggle with it. And I think. I don't know what it is. Maybe his appreciation for for other commentators, or he's a pretty well-read guy. But he realized right off the bat that his job had changed, and his relationship with players had changed, and he's embraced it. Yeah. No. Well, what a great talk uh, with Brandel, obviously. And uh, but we want to wrap up with a few other things. First of all, the best one-day story from last week, and that has to go to Phil Mickelson's dance moves, which were showcased on this new. Mizzen and Maine shirt ad, which is instantly one of the most talked about commercials, at least in golf history. Right, and if you're Mizzen and Maine, mission, oh, mission accomplished. Genius. I, I mean, unbelievable. Brilliant I don't know. If, marketing. The, the question is, is that has anyone looked at Phil in those ads and said, "Well, that's a really nice shirt." Really? Probably not. I mean, you know, yeah. I actually own a couple of shirts, and they're perfectly comfortable. Oh, and nice. Yeah. Look I'm, at you. Yeah, look at me. What are you? emailing them getting you know no this is before any of that stuff wow yeah. really look at you well i've never heard of them before no i did oh, well okay. uh, let's be perfectly do you wear honest. them to play golf no no yeah no. maybe i should though that really? was my next move no they're i just don't they're like dress shirts the exactly only, the only ridiculous. person no I, I i honestly don't think the intent of him wearing those shirts was for people to wear him playing golf i think his intent was to get people talking about the shirt and the brand 
which he's done. But they so, did. It, was, it was brilliant. Joel, what would you think of Phil's moves? Listen, as a, as a fellow dance challenge guy, I, I was somewhat impressed. I, to be honest, my main takeaway is in a year where Tiger Woods is back and playing well, it seems like we're talking about Phil way more often. So uh, who would ever have thought that would be the case? Um, but I got to be honest, I, I thought they were really cheesy and catered to the over 40 crowd kind of solidified by the fact that my dad called and said it was his favorite commercial and my dad works in advertising he said it's his favorite commercial he's ever seen so ever uh, seen my god wow i know so uh but no you're right i mean kudos to them it definitely went viral and kudos to phil he 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 had fun with it and uh gave the people what they want well you're right though kudos to phil because you know he did win this year obviously in mexico but he has one win in the last five plus years we still talk about him as much as anybody but yeah content king he and Tiger now are joining forces. It is seems like it's official, Joel, for this Thanksgiving uh, match. And um, it's amazing that they both just, you know, stay in the limelight well into their, their 40s. Yeah, and it's funny because, especially when it relates to Tiger, which is people, someone asked me yesterday, is like, why is why are people so fascinated with Tiger? And my, my answer is that, you know, the obvious reasons were at one point he was the world's best player and he was he's just a fascinating character but now he's sort of a celebrity for being a celebrity Mm -hmm. it's like the story of tiger woods is because he's oh he's that famous guy i'm gonna watch what he does and phil kind of has the same thing he just now has it's it's completely apart from what he does on the golf course it's it's everything else that he sort of continues to build on yeah it's incredible um all right our, our nugget of the week this is pretty incredible it comes from sean martin of the pga tour uh tiger had made three double bogeys at Firestone from 1999 to 2009. So that's, what, 11 years, a span of 648 holes. He made three double bogeys. He made two double bogeys in a three-hole stretch on Sunday. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. Let's stop, stop comparing, comparing him. new Tiger to old Tiger. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and Sam, you, you know a thing or two about double bogeys. I'm out, I'm out though. I'm done. The, yeah. the, 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 our national nightmare is over. Oh, no more shanks? No more. Sh- well, I shouldn't say that. but you I, I feel two, two holes. In two holes, but then yeah. the back nine was clean. Okay, and I feel and I. So and Sam, I, Sam currently has a nine-hole stretch. <laughs> it's of, very tight. Nine consecutive holes without a shank. That's 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 pretty good. Yeah. Um, I you know I I was going to uh, announce my retirement from shooting in the seventies because it had been like over a month. I was going to hold a retirement party, invite everybody, but I actually shot in the seventies yesterday. So yeah, I'm back. Congratulations. I just needed to play a really easy course because I, obviously if I go to a real course, I, I can't do it. So. All right, enough about our own golf game. Guys, let's end with some PGA picks. Uh, Joel, you are the man on the ground. I will let you go first. Who is kind of your main pick, and maybe who's a guy under the radar? I think this pick qualifies us both. That This guy has finished in the top ten every major this year. He's a long hitter. Ooh, uh, yeah. I think we've been all waiting when this breakout's going to happen. I think it's this week. It's Tony Finau. Wow. Um, yeah. The, the, the health is right there. Um, he, he's right on the precipice of trying to gain an automatic qualifying bid for the Ryder Cup when, when this week will do it. Uh, I, I think a lot of people have been wondering when he'll. I mean, he's only has one win right now. It's right. at, at the Pittorigan win. So yeah, I, I think this is when we see it. Yeah, I think this is where he gets it done. Okay. All right. Again, though, I go back to expectations. Like, he's a perfect guy. This is probably the first major where people were like, wow, Tony Fina, how is he going to play? And people are sort of circling. You're right. Him. And so suddenly it's a different it's a different dynamic yep. because you would never go into a major saying, wondering what he's going to do. You're right. At the Masters, he had the dislocated ankle. Yeah. Nobody thought he was going to do anything. T7. Then he had another good finish. at the Great finish at Shinnecock. 
And then even at the open, we nobody mentioned him. Right. Oh, it's Lynx golf, totally different. Does right. it again. You're right. It's totally different coming in with expectations. But I do, I do like him. I think he's he's definitely like he's found something out at majors, and uh, I hope he makes Ryder Cup because he's an interesting guy. Yeah. I like him. So. And he's the only guy this year to be in the top ten in all three majors. So that's that's pretty good. Sam, who speaking of know? another guy who's had a pretty good run in majors this year, most notably at at uh, Carnoustie is Kevin Kisner. I had mentioned that I thought it was going to be a sort of fringe top top player. So Kevin mm-hmm. Kisner is certainly a very worthy uh, tour player and, and, and you know, was in the lead at uh, Quail Hollow a year ago and had the lead at Carnoustie. So certainly has the game to contend in majors. I do feel like uh, this golf course, especially with the big greens, despite what we were saying about the conditions, it's going to be a guy who's just going to make a ton of putts, and I feel like he's the type of guy who can, who can get really hot with a putter. So Kevin Kisner is your pick. He's my pick. That's it. He's I'm, your... I'm owning it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I'm gonna go with Jason Day. I I know he really faltered down the stretch at Firestone after he actually did get within two shots. I I think you know he's such an explosive player. The reason why he hasn't done much since those two early wins is frankly he doesn't play that much. He's only played five events uh, since his last win. Um, you know, I think we talk a lot about the big greens here, but there's also a ton of bunkers at Bell Reeve. He's arguably the best bunker player on tour. He's definitely the best, I think, long bunker player. We all know he's the best putter on tour. Um, I, I, I like Jason Day to win a second PGA Championship. I mean, he's another guy like Dustin. He should have more than yeah. one major. But he uh, hasn't dominated in the fashion that Dustin has the last two years. I mean, he certainly had his stretch where he was dominating. Yeah, but. he had his one-year stretch where he dominated, but... But still, I think what does he have? Twelve wins, and he only has. Well, one again, he, if Dustin Johnson and or Jason Day end their careers with one majors, it'll be a colossal oh, yeah. disappointment. Definitely. So he's my guy, my under the radar guy. I think Sam, you might have mentioned him a, a while ago. Kevin Na, uh, great, great short game. Obviously, still riding high from that long-awaited second win at the Greenbrier. And I also like the fact that unlike these other guys, although you the guys you're picking are not. Great odds, but uh, 150 to one. Nice. Odd. I mean, that's off the board. So, that that could be a nice hit there. So, Kevin, now the only bad thing is best career major finish was a seventh place one time. I think he only has two top tens. So, but if this is if it's ever going to happen, Joel mentioned a guy trying to make a Ryder Cup for the first time would certainly propel him onto that team as well. I like Kevin, now we don't we we've gone a long way without any serious Ryder Cup discussion this week, but I guess we still have some time before the yeah, team. Yeah, we is, still yeah, have some yeah, time. Right. And this is again, like Joel said, I mean, this is a huge event. Obviously, a couple years ago, Jimmy Walker mm-hmm. jumped from thirtieth onto the team, and we could we could see a lot happen here. I know that eight nine spot is really close still between Webb Simpson and and uh, Bryson DeChambeau, so a lot going on this week. Um, yeah, Joel. Enjoy it out there. Joel, uh, you got any hot spots yeah. you can hit in St. Louis? Tell me your itinerary. I was going to hit a Cardinals game, and then I realized the uh, cards are out of town. I got to be honest, I've had a weird relationship with uh, St. Louis barbecue. I, I feel like it's a bit over, it's like the Gary player of barbecue. It's like very, <laughs> very, very good. But compared to what's in Memphis and Kansas City, if that's like the Tiger Woods Jack Nicholas, it's a little right. below. And like Gary Blair, they always tell you how good it is. It's so. like the Valhalla of barbecue. <laughs> That's right. Well wow. said. So, okay, well, stay stay cool out there. Obviously, it's going to be sweltering, to yeah. say the least. Sam, any final thoughts? No, that's it. I just hope Joel hydrates plenty. Yeah, keep hydrating. Plenty of water. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. maybe stay away from the barbecue in the 100-degree-plus temperature. Yep. yep. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks uh, for listening. Thanks again to Brandel Chambly for joining us. Uh, enjoy the PGA Championship this week. Look out for Phil Mickelson doing the worm in celebration of uh, any putts. And uh, check back next week to see who our guest is. Thank you.